there is nothing more intoxicating, nothing more thrilling to realize that those seeds will one day blossom into a better, happier life. Jumbo, fellow adventurer, I'm Mike Dooley, a writer, speaker, teacher on the nature of reality, specifically helping people understand how to live deliberately and to create consciously. Welcome to my Spiritual Tune-Ups podcast, where in this edition, you're about to hear a mini manifesting workshop. The title says it all. Every single Tuesday morning, I broadcast a live mini manifesting workshop, and I've been doing it for years and years for my thousands and thousands of Infinite Possibility members. With the catalog we have and the archive running very deep, we've decided to start sharing these globally to podcast listeners. If this mini manifesting workshop references a PDF download to accompany the workshop with an interactive exercise, you can find your copy at club.tut.com slash PDF club.tut.com slash PDF. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this mini manifesting workshop, one of the features of our Spiritual Tune-Ups podcast. Tally-ho, amigo, your thoughts become things, and you are utterly adored. How's your month of thriving going? Were you able to jot down last week a couple of big dreams, a couple of big fears? Write down the stinking thinking that's associated with them and realize they ain't no thing, those negative fearful thoughts. You will trumpet, you will prevail over it, you will bust a move because you were born to thrive with default settings through the roof. With this topic in mind, I want to speak about another, just like last week's talk, epiphany I had of the last 20 years as I've been teaching. Teaching? best what I most need to learn. And boy, was this a doozy. I was raised a Catholic. I am not one today. I have respect for all religions. They're all born, I believe, of noble intent to answer those age-old questions. You know, who are we? How did we get here? And what we can do? What can we do with our lives? One of the big breakthroughs I had, in addition to understanding that it's as if our positive thoughts are wildly more popular, powerful than our fearful and negative thoughts was what it can do for our own private adventures, our own private journey to serve others. Now, raised a Catholic, I equated, and maybe it was my own naivety, I equated service with selflessness. To be of service is to put the needs of others before your own. I never liked that approach. I never liked that connotation. Maybe I just made that up. But to me, God didn't choose to be me. I didn't choose to be me, to not be me and not follow my needs. I got to take care of business at home before I'm going to be helpful to anybody out there. Mom always used to say, charity begins at home. And so the notion of selflessness I mean, I know there's, I, I get there's a place for that and it's honorable, but, but full-time selflessness, uh, no, there's no place for that. Um, and selfless service, so you're not going to help anybody if, if, if you're not there beaming and radiating joy and 
enthusiasm, which you can't do if you've denied your own needs and your own desires, okay? So, so that's why my whole life I shunned the notion of service. Silly me. The big breakthrough I had is realizing that once you've taken care of business at home, you know, and, and it doesn't take much. I mean, you don't have to be a, a billionaire surrounded by, you know, people who adore you, um, the perfect weight, uh, haute, haute couture clothing to then be of service. It takes very little to kind of get your house in order. And then when you help someone else, as I first did big time, uh, volunteering to speak in the Orange County, Florida jail system for two years, every Tuesday morning, to plant seeds of hope and possibilities in the hearts and minds of, in this case, inmates. Uh, there is nothing more intoxicating, nothing more thrilling to realize that those seeds will one day blossom into a better, happier life. And that those lives that became better will spill over into other lives and those into other lives. And it's just like, oh my gosh, to be of service and help others is like the most selfish thing you can do. And so I call it selfish, not selfless, selfish service. And, and wow, I've completely redefined service this way. And actually, I believe anybody who's truly selfish and I think selfishness is a really good thing, they're automatically taking into account those they love. They don't believe that selfishness means me making progress at the expense of others. That's only for people who live, believe they live in a finite objective world where your gain is someone else's loss. That's not the world we live in. We live in a holographic world where our thoughts become things, where we are divine creators and your success will inspire others to be successful, will help others on the fly be successful. Your dreams coming true will make other people's dreams come true. That's a, a divinely selfish understanding of the nature of re our reality. People who only use their physical senses naturally think selfishness is a bad thing. But back to my definition of selfishness being a wonderful thing, if I were to make progress at the expense of loved ones um, or, or without caring about loved ones, it's like, hey, my dream came true. I made a lot of money. I'm traveling all over the world. I don't, I'm sorry that you guys are still at home you know, living in misery. That's going to come around. That's going to bite me in the butt. That's going to slap me in the face. Uh, and, and through circumstances, not just an irate partner or anybody. And that's not good for me. So if I'm going to, you know, play la-di-da to everybody else, you know, my dreams came true. Why didn't yours come true? That's going to ruin my joy ultimately. So if that was my s selfish approach with that mindset, it was pretty stupid because it's not going to work. It's going to blow up in my face. Anybody who is divinely selfish, as Richard Bach said in the book Illusions, um, automatically takes into account family, community, friends, and strangers. Like if it's going to blow up in anybody's face, it's going to blow up in my face vis-a-vis -vis the phenomenon, phenomenon, not law, of karma. So I'm a big believer in service on my terms, when I'm ready, in ways that I want to be of service. And, and there's no end to the ways you can be of service. I love picking up garbage in public places. 
I get to do that, to change the scenery for countless other people who might make them in a better mood, um, you know, volunteering, writing the notes from the universe I now see was service all along, even though I did it to extract my life from the dark night of its soul. You know, you can do service in a selfish way, and then suddenly it's win-win-win-win for everyone the way I've just defined service. Now, I'm going to make this deliberately the shortest ever mini-manifesting workshop because, number one, I made my point, and number two, I have a really exciting free bonus in line and in the spirit of thriving with this week's topic of service, I had a one-on-one -on -one interview with my pal and, may I dare say, peer, Neil Donald Walsh, when these very topics were brought for God to dish on. Um, I gotta tell you, this is embarrassing, but I had a most amazing, 30-minute talk with Neil, only to discover the recording never happened. It was totally my fault. So I called him back a week later, just like, I'm gonna, just, you're gonna hate me, brother. I told him what happened, and he was so kind and so generous. We did another one, and it's even better. Okay, we are recording, we are live, and I am with Neil Donald Walsh, a modern-day spiritual messenger whose words continue to touch the world and myself in profound ways. Neil's work has literally taken him to every corner of the globe. He's just back from a trip. He's got another trip coming up, and his conversations with God's series has been translated into 37 languages. Neil, you are a living legend. I'm humbled and honored for you to be in this segment where we are going to talk about the truth about thriving. Welcome, Neil Donald Walsh. Well, thank you, Meg. I don't, I don't think I'm a living legend. <laughs> God help me if that's true. But, uh, but oh well, uh, you have to leave that to me and the rest of the world. Uh, I think I'm just are. normal. I think I think I'm just a normal person. A regular person like everybody else I simply had an experience that all of us are having all I really did was that was different from anybody else was I took notes I actually took notes and as the as the experience became more sophisticated and more complex uh, and and more uh, beneficial as I got more deeply into the conversation I was having I did more than take notes I took copious notes that is I was very clear that I wanted to remember what was occurring in this experience. But I never, you know, Mike, as I'm sure you know, since you know my story, I never thought for a moment that anyone else in the world would ever be reading these notes. It was more of a, a process of journaling, like, like, like writing in one's diary. And it, it never occurred to me that, that people around the world would be reading my private notes. Uh, but, yeah, but, How wrong you were. Yeah, well, you know what, it's, it's somewhere in the middle of the conversation, I was told this will, you will one day make this a book, you'll make a book of this. And I thought to myself, no, 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 that's, that's not going to happen. No, no publisher in his right mind is going to say, you know, to his staff, stop the presses, this guy's talking to God. <laughs> but, you know, 
Well, I have to tell you, the product is astounding. I, I trust and want to believe that everyone listening to us knows well of your work. And I am often asked, you know, doing some speaking and writing myself and to a degree around the world, you know, who are my inspirators? Who gives me, uh, you know, who fills me up? And I readily answer the same two-pronged answer every single time. Number one, I don't like to read. I really avoid reading anybody and everybody because I don't want to sound like them and I don't, I just don't like the whole process with the exception of Neil Donald Walsh. To the contrary, if I start randomly pick a page, which I do before bed often and have for decades now, uh, it's hard to stop. It is so profound. I always say it's it's beyond what I feel like I could have deduced myself. Whereas everything else I share, you know, I've been there, done that, but your perspective is so amazing and all the more exciting for us to talk to you today about thriving, living deliberately, creating consciously, because we're totally on the same metaphysical page, that we are divine creators of God, by God, for God. Um, we're gonna make this an easy 20, 30 minute phone call so I'd like to know what's the top thing you would share with anybody who, who really wants to kind of light a fire under their life, blast, soar, love, enjoy, abundance, and whatever else they want to focus on and manifest? Well, uh, Mike, uh, that's very close to the question, not quite as pointed as my question, but it's the same, same deeper concept. When I asked God, what does it take to make life work? I was desperate, as you may know, in that time of my life because everything was falling apart. My career had reached a dead end. My health was falling downhill and my relationships uh, were dissolving as well, all at the same time. And so I finally just really fell to my knees at one point in my life and I called out to God. I said, you know, okay, okay. Obviously there's something here I don't understand. The understanding of which would change everything. Please tell me what does it take to make life work? What, what is it that I don't know that, that I really need to understand? And God, I remember the answer that I received, there was a kind of a smile in her voice as he said to me, Neil, Neil, it's really very simple. You think your life is about you and your life has nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. Your life is about everyone else whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. Wow. You know, that was like a lazy Susan on the philosophy of life. It just turned everything around like a lazy Susan reaching for the sugar bowl. I, the whole thing turned around on me and, and I began to change the whole focus of my life. I stopped looking at what it is I thought I wanted, needed, and required in order to be happy. And I began looking at what others wanted, needed, and required in order for them to be happy. And I began to be uh, the source to the degree that I could of mm -hmm. that in the life of another because that was the second major message that i got in conversations with god a three-word message that i'll never forget be the source wow in other words whatever you think you want for yourself be the wow. source of it in the life of another whether you want more compassion in your life more companionship in your life more abundance in your life whatever it is that you really feel you need more of in your life i wish people would have more patience with me i wish people would have more understanding of me or, you know whatever it is really wow. physical or philosophical or emotional that i want more of in my life 
God instructed me, go out and find someone who appears to need and want more of that in their life, and you supply it to them. Mm-hmm. And the magic of that formula, talk about thriving, the magic of that formula, Mike, is that when we supply to others what it is we wish we had more of, we have a direct experience of having enough of that to actually give away. Wow. And that leaves room for people to say, I have a priority here, I have a preference there, and thereby live their life deliberately, but pushing a different button than would normally come to mind. And that is being of service. It causes us to realize we do not need anything, that we already have everything that we needed or imagined that we needed. And yes, that when we change, we change our life from what I call from suffering to service. My wife came up with that uh, turn of phrase a few years ago. She said, you know what you're doing? You're wow. changing people's lives from suffering to service. And, and, and when we move from suffering, that is the experience of not having enough, not having enough abundance in our life, not having, I don't even have enough time. That's, that's the wonderful example I'd like to give. You know, I often used to think, I don't have enough time in my life. I just don't have enough. There's not enough time in any 24-hour day. And then I found the great secret. If you want to get something done and you need help getting it done, go to someone who looks way too busy to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's and a you, good one. Yeah, and you'll find out that they actually have the time to give you. If they're open-hearted and if they're living the philosophy that I'm describing now, they will, in fact, give you the time that it takes. And you realize, wow, and you start doing the same thing. You realize you have more time than you thought you have. You have more abundance than you thought you had. You have more patience, more understanding, more kindness, and ultimately the greatest experience of all, that you really had more love than you thought you ever had to give to other people, people you don't even know. So it changes your whole life and then you begin to thrive because what you do to others, you do to yourself, which is of course a version of the golden rule. Yeah, do unto others as you would have it done unto you. This is really the golden rule in practice. Do unto others as you would have it done unto you means be the source in the life of another of that which you wish to have come to you. And you'll discover that what flows through you sticks to you. Wow. Two questions come to mind right away. You mentioned and I read and saw the film about your life and uh, I know it's true for me. There was a dark night of the soul for lack of better words, and those are pretty good words, that you encountered. I mean, you hit rock bottom. And I remember myself 19 years ago, just kind of like, you know, throwing my arms up and literally praying to God at the side of my bed saying, you know, I can't figure it out. I've worn every hat, I've micromanaged, you figure it out. But I'm sometimes asked, I wonder, I, I know you're asked, how necessary is it for things to totally fall apart? I mean, what if somebody's happy right now and they just want to be happier? I, I don't want the message to be, well, you know, you need to really, you know, fall down and hurt yourself before you can really soar. How do you interpret this falling apart seeming necessary for a rebirth? Well, it's a falsehood. I interpret it as, as a falsehood. It, in fact, is totally unnecessary for us to fall apart. And I wrote a book on this subject called Happier Than God. And the book Happier Than God describes exactly the situation you're describing, that a person could even be happy in their life, having no really major tragedies, no really major downfalls. They're just kind of moving through their life in a relatively happy state. And, but it's possible to be even happier than that. And the book describes what it's like to be even happier than happy, in a sense, 
to be happier than God, which is this, like, let's see, and I, I described the title as, you know, uh, the, the title came to me when a person was talking to me about a person that we both knew who was wealthy. I said, well, how much money does he have? And my friend said, he's got more money than God. <laughs> well, I understood what that meant. It was just, a, it was the ultimate superlative is what it was. That's yeah. when the, that's, that's when the uh, title of the book, Happier Than God, came to me. Wouldn't it be interesting to be happier than God, which is the source of all happiness? So even as, if you are immensely happy in your life right now, it's possible to be happier still, and even happier than that, and even happier than that. And that yeah. is what was the great uh, unveiling, the great secret uh, that that I was given in my life, and of course, I learned then that it wasn't necessary to have to fall on your face in order to get up. You can just you can get higher and higher and higher in your life by simply choosing to experience who you really are, and to cause everyone else whose life you touch to experience who they re really are as well. Yeah, that's so beautiful and very very powerful. And so it's it's for turkeys like me who just cling to the old and try to force something to work under the old paradigm. Well, it's like, if it's a broken paradigm you're working with and you refuse to open up and receive, then you're gonna probably go down and then you're gonna open up and receive. And so those watching, listening right now, you know, you don't have to go any lower than you've ever been to soar higher than you can even imagine. The second question, Neil, uh, this, this is something I grappled with a lot earlier and I think I've got a handle on it. But having been raised in a Catholic family, I was always taught, you know, to put the needs of others before my own. And while there's great beauty in that, I always felt like, and maybe interpreted that, to be, you know, to, to, to be selfless. And I think, you know, God didn't choose to be me, to not be me, to say, okay, I'm gonna be Mike Dooley with his strengths and his inclinations and his desires and passions, but I'm going to snuff all. I'm going to hope that he snuffs that all out and takes care of you know the the crippled in the street. So I had a problem reconciling reconciling the pursuit of my joy on um, in 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 the areas that lit me up with having like no no that's selfish. Don't follow your heart. You know help somebody else. Can you help us have direction with this approach of suffer to service? while not losing ourselves? Well, I, I think it's a, a, a question of realizing the joy that others receive when we fully give of the gifts that are ours. And, and so, you know, I used to think that, I, I changed my thinking on this as well after my conversations with God. I used to think, just like you, like it, like it came from the same Catholic upbringing you, you came from. And I used to think that, you know, I had to be you know, careful. I, I didn't want to let my head get above the crowd. I didn't want to, you know, you're to be seen and not heard. My father must have said to me a thousand times and all of those admonitions that I received. And that it was like, just as you described, that it was very selfish of me to want to, to want to push forward with my own gifts in the world. Only when I experienced the joy, and I can tell you exactly what it was. It was a little, little piano recital that I was giving. I was about nine or 10 years old. And uh, I, I had perfect pitch as a child. I guess, I guess you have that for your life. Anyway, there I was simply plunking out a little song on the piano. 
and I was trying not to be, you know, bragging about it, trying not to make it, but it was a piano recital I didn't have any choice I had to do it in order to finish the lessons. So I did this little piano recital and I was playing this little song and I happened to look out at the little audience, maybe there were 12 or 15 people there, parents of other kids who were there for their recital and all the rest. It wasn't a big crowd, but it was enough that I could see into the crowd and I looked out at the crowd as I was playing this song and I saw the pure joy on the face of not one of my parents, not, not my, my group of people, but in fact, other people. They were smiling and, and there, was, there was one woman in particular, one lady who was almost in tears. She was just smiling so happily. You could see that she was, she was receiving a gift even as I was giving my gift. And at the age of nine, I remember that moment and I thought, oh my gosh, wait a minute. Who's getting more out of this, her or me? And in that moment, my life shifted. And in conversation with God, I made the final leap. Across, I got across the bridge. I realized that in the giving of my gift, I was giving a tremendous gift to others. And uh -huh. then I saw that, in fact, there's only one of us. It looks like there's her and me. And the truth is, there's only one of us. And that when, when we give the gift that is ours to give, we bless those uh, who, who is ours uh, to bless. And, and that's how blessings uh, exist in the world. And when you look at, and then I, as I got older, of course, I looked at all the great uh, people of, of history and the people of my own contemporary time, Martin Luther King Jr., for instance, who roused, roused me with his incredible ability to put words together and his ability to, to bring passion to his understandings. And when I saw him, and I saw him, not on live, but on television, I saw him give that speech. I have a dream. I have a dream today. And even to this moment, I remember how I felt. Who is giving and who's receiving here? Or is his giving and my receiving the same thing? It's the gift of life being demonstrated at both ends of That's the That's so powerful. And so what I would take from that is in the pursuit of our full expression, where we've discovered our gifts and or uh, the yearning to unwrap and just, and further find out who we really are. If we do that with the spirit of sharing, uh, a terminology I use that ties in is selfless. I mean, selfish service. I, I kind of extol selfish service. Do it in your way with what you're good at. Uh, I say on your terms, um, but, but give, be of service. And then you're going to light up and you're going to, better be able to light up other people. And this might give listeners right now at least some direction rather than, than me just saying, go serve. You know, you know, yes, of course. Where would the world be without Barbara Streisand having given her gift? Where would the world be without Thomas Jefferson not having given his gift, his eloquence with words and his deep thinking? Where would the world be without the gifts that we've received from all the great gift givers of the world? Because they have changed the world by the gift that they gave. So, you know, I, I had an occasion to talk to a person just a few weeks ago who is, is a tremendous writer, actually, and, and she will not write the book that I've been encouraging her to write for almost two years. I finally stopped short and I looked at her and I said, can I talk to you, big brother to little sister? Can I be straight with you and just speak to you bluntly and plainly? She said, sure. And I looked at her and I said, how dare you? How dare you not give the gift that God gave you? Do you think that God gave you that gift for you to hide and keep and keep your light under a bushel? Don't, wow. you, don't you dare hold that gift within you. Share that gift with the world because that's why it was given to you to begin with. 
Wow, that is so good. Now, what about the person who's listening? I'm trying to what my gift is. What would you say to them? Look to what brings you the greatest joy. I, I have an exercise that I do with people. I feel most joyful when I am, and then I tell them, fill in the blank. And oh, you know, that's... it's amazing. I do that with people in workshops all the time. I feel most joyful when I am, colon, and you fill in the blank. And they will, they'll come right up with the answer. They, they might not, some might say when I'm singing, but some might say, no, no, you know, when I'm helping someone else. You know, or, or they may have a, a more broadly based answer. But Teaching, begin, organizing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they might come up with, uh, unbeknownst to them, a, a vivid description of exactly what brings them to a place uh, of, of discovering what their true gift is. It could be something as simple as organizing. You're exactly right. That's awesome. Well, we got 10 minutes, and I have to ask you what everybody wants to ask. You know, and I've, I've heard some of your answers uh, in print, but I would love for you to share with us. You have this extraordinary pipeline to the divine. Well, we uh, all do. We all do. Every one of us does. Yeah. You have this ability to, to talk to God. You know, what gives? How can we cultivate that in ourselves? Well, you know, I, I, you're right. I've been asked that question a million times in the past 25 years since the publication of the first Conversations wow. with God book. And uh, so I kind of looked at it myself. I, I thought, well, you know, since I'm being asked this question a lot, what, what is it that I did? I mean, how did it work for me? And how can I get people to understand that we're all having conversations with God all the time? It's not a question of to, you know, to whom is God talking. It's a question of who's listening. Uh -huh. So I thought, I thought, well, what were the five, what were the steps that I came up with five, really five steps uh, that, uh, that I really realized looking over my shoulder that I had, that I had in fact taken uh, in terms of my own conversation with God. Step number one is I had to believe there was a God. So, you know, that might seem obvious, but many, many people are not real sure about it. And some people actually deny it. So, of course, you can't have a conversation with somebody you don't think is there. So the first step is you've got to reaffirm or confirm your belief that there is such a thing as God. You can, you can uh, think of it in any form that you wish. God is male, God is female, God is genderless, God is energy, God is pure wisdom, God is uh, uh, unconditional love. But, but, but you have to have some sense that there is this higher power, something greater than us that I call in my vocabulary God. Number two, step number two. Mm -hmm. you, have to, you have to experience that God, in fact, is talking to us all the time. That is, this source of wisdom and clarity is in constant communication with humanity and, and with all of life throughout the cosmos. That God did not, you know, uh, come up with the case of celestial laryngitis a few thousand years ago, but that, in fact, is talking to all of us all the time. So you have to realize that this communication from God is coming to us in a wide variety of forms. The words to the next song you hear on the radio, the chance utterance of a friend on the street, the, the message on the billboard as you turn the corner on the highway, or in a thousand other ways that God is communicating with us, not necessarily directly in a message in our left ear, and it could be that as well, but that God is communicating with us at all times. Step number three was for me to experience myself as being worthy. This was not a small step, by the way, for me. A step of, uh, of being worthy of receiving uh, a, uh, the messages from, God, from the divine. 
because if I didn't think I was worthy of receiving them, then I, I would not receive them. I would not even see them. I'd be looking right past them. So I had to forget about, um, forget about that old Catholic prayer. Uh, you know, Lord, though I, they're not worthy to have you come under my roof. That's not true. In fact, I am. I am worthy. So I changed, I changed the prayer. Thank you, God, for allowing me to notice that I am worthy to receive your communications and to be and to be spoken to directly by you. Step number four was for me then not to deny the messages that I was receiving that were falling right in my lap, that were appearing right in front of my face, or if you please coming to me right in my mind, but rather than deny them to to pay attention to them in whatever form in, it, it was in which they appeared. In my case, words written on a on a screen. Type, typed out, or in the original version, words written in longhand on a yellow legal pad, to not deny, to stop telling myself, okay, I can't, I can't really call this a conversation with God. Let's see, what can I get away with calling it? Ah, well, I can't call it women's intuition because I'm not a woman, so what am I going to call it? Oh, uh, an epiphany, a, a stroke of genius, a, you know, a, a great idea, you know, whatever I want to call it, but I don't dare call it a conversation with God. And so I, I had to stop denying what was occurring. Uh-huh. And, then, and then finally, step number five, I had to do something with it. I had to act on it. I had to not just set it aside and ignore it, but in fact, move into action around the message that I was receiving and to put it into place in my life in one way or another. Then I would experience my conversation with God as an active part of my life. And I want to make one, one, one final point about this, if I can. Uh, all of us are receiving, uh, as I said, this information all the time, be- not be- but not from a place exterior to us. The most important message of conversation with God is, I am with you always, even unto the end of time. Not way over there, not way out there, but with you, in you, as you, through you. Now, what I've been told in my conversations with God is that that which we call the divine essence, divine love, divine wisdom, divine clarity, resides within us. It's not a question of calling it uh, from, within, from, from without, but really bringing it forth from within. There's a part of each of us that is the residence of God itself. And if we un- allow that to be our experience, to call it forth from inside of us, we will realize that we're not reaching out to someplace out there in the universe to connect with God. We're simply turning deeply within, and that's where God resides. Wow, this is so uh, useful and applicable. Um, You know, I liked how you said uh, God's talking to all of us. It's uh, the trick is learning to listen. Um, Does it take several deep breaths for you to hear? Do you need to meditate? Do you have a ritual? Anything you recommend, or or is it easier than that? It's easier than that for me, and I think it is for all of us. I, I, I frankly, I don't meditate uh, very often except when I write. My, my form of meditation really is writing, and, and that's, that's, that's just my form. But, so there's no right way, so to speak. There's no correct way to, to meditate. But, you know, uh, here's what I want to say. The tool is pay attention. Just pay attention. As you move through your life, if you're open to receiving the wisdom and the clarity that resides within all of us, just pay attention. And pay attention, most important of all, to how you're feeling. Those feelings will be turned into thoughts and words if you pay attention to those feelings. Feelings 
CWG tells us, are the language of the soul. So as I go through my life, I pay attention, more attention than I ever did before, to exactly how I'm feeling and then to what's happening all around me, to what's happening outside of me, to what's occurring in my world, what people are saying, what I'm seeing, and, and, and what I'm discovering through the seeing of it through different eyes. So I look very carefully at the world around me. What is the world trying to say to me right now? What, what, is, life, what is life choosing to, exp to express to me right now? And I rarely am mystified by that message. It's usually very clear to me. What is life trying to say to me right now? Wow. And what is the art of learning to trust the feelings or the images or whatever you get versus think, oh, that's just, you know, my mood. That's just my imagination. I, well, it is I your imagination. That's God it, 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 well, it is your imagination. First of all, let me go back. Let me just step back one, one step. If, if I were to use my message that I just gave to you a minute ago right now, if I were to use that right now in this minute, I'd be asking myself, as I'm having this conversation with, with you, what is life trying to show me right now? And what life is showing me right now is, Neil, you have all the answers inside of you. Mike can't ask you a question to which you do not have an answer. And the, the reverse is true. If I began to, 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 to start shooting questions at Mike for the next half hour, he would have answers as well. And if he paid attention to what's happening, he would see that life is showing him that. So, wow. so what is life trying to show me right now? And I, if I look deeply into the, into the question, the answer becomes apparent and, and, ver and very clear to me. Wow. You know, this is so good. And, you know, this reminds me of something I read um, in CWG, that, that uh, it's not as if our imagination isn't God. Everything is God, right? Would you say, do I remember that correctly? Well, exactly what I said to God. How do I know this is not just my imagination? And God said to me, well, it is. Now, what makes you think I wouldn't use your imagination? Where did Michelangelo get his imageries for the Sistine Chapel? Where did Mozart find his wonderful music that he, that he, that he created and gave to the world? Where, from whence cometh creativity? Well, it comes from your imagination. That is your, your ability to image what it is that you wish to experience. So God said, it, it is your imagination. What, what makes you think? God said, I will stop at nothing. I will use any tool available to me, including your own imagination. So stop telling yourself because you're imagining it that it can't be real. That's so good. I, I so appreciate this, Neil. I know everybody listening will appreciate it. You are so generous. I, I, I got to trust God is paying you back uh, handsomely for, for all that you give to so, so many, including me and our listeners today. I want to tell everybody that Neil has a brand new book, Making the Daring Decision to Be Who You Truly Are, The Essential Path. I just read it myself. I absolutely loved it. You can read it in, gosh, you know, a couple of hours. Even for somebody like me who doesn't like to read, look, it's Neil Donald Walsh. Um, congratulations, Neil, on a superb book. Is there any comments on the book you'd like to share with us? Only that it describes the biggest problem in the world today and how to solve it. If you have any interest in that, and the biggest problem in everyone's individual life today and how to solve that. That's the point of the book, and it explains how one could take the essential path. It's a very short book, a very quick read, as you mentioned. It's a, a, a tiny little booklet, uh, but I think people will really enjoy it, and they'll get a lot out of it.
Well, I, I certainly did. And how can people find you on the internet? I'm at cwgconnect.com. If you want to stay connected with me, just go to CWG, which of course stands for Conversations with God. So the website is cwgconnect.com. You'll find me there. I'm there every day with a column called Ask Neil, where you can ask me any question, just like Mike is doing right now, and I'll give you an immediate answer. That's, that's so great, Neil. Thank you so, so much. I can't wait to meet you in the flesh one day and give you a bear hug for all the gratitude I feel and love in my heart. Thanks on behalf of everybody, Neil Donald Walsh. You're very kind, Mike. Thank you for the opportunity to share these moments with you. Blessed be. Blessed be. Tally-ho. There you have it, fellow podcast listener. Now, let's stay in the zone. If you haven't already, please visit my website, tut.com, where you can sign up, along with one million other subscribers, for my free daily notes from the universe. You can also find out about my Infinite Possibility membership for a price you choose. Every single Tuesday, I do a live broadcast, a 30-minute mini manifesting workshop. Members have access to the last 52 mini manifesting workshops. So check it out. And if you have a moment and these podcasts move you, I would be deeply grateful for a review at the Apple podcast platform. Go to tut.com, look for spiritual tune-ups, look for the link for podcast. If you send us a screen grab of your published review at Apple We've got a very special bonus waiting for you. Check out the links, read all about it. Thanks for being here, and I'll see you on the next podcast installment.